This episode is about governments, is about healthcare, innovation, how all of this interacts. And the very special take that we're putting on this is that the person sharing all this uh, expertise and knowledge with us is an investor, is a uh, chief strategist at SCS, the stra- chief strategist at SCS Ventures. She um, is is really delightful to talk to, very knowledgeable about so many topics. She actually opens the the interview by talking about the upcoming election. And this was done a while ago. This was pre-COVID. So it is such a coincidence. This just happened a couple of days ago. And now here we are with that recording that dates back and yet uh, remains very timely. The things she puts on the table, even with COVID, even without knowing that it was coming, still very relevant. And you will also hear something that might make you smile. We were referencing hymns uh, and and the the actual event that had physically happened, and now it it makes me smile because we are looking at upcoming conferences. We will be by the by covering the Global Experience Summit and also South by Southwest, and it is really funny in a, in an era where we no longer have these in person conferences, these events. Uh, they they are now hosted online. Well, we have a little remnant a little nugget of that in the interview back in the old days so here we go without further ado a really interesting talk about innovation and how it happens in uh, how it gets funded in a system where there's so many different players So Jay, we're really happy to have you with us today and I want to dive right in and look at the government as an important player in healthcare. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Most people think of the argument in healthcare, especially with our 2020 election coming up, thinking of whether healthcare is an entitlement or it's a privilege. There's been a constant discussion and basically has led to the assumption that we are completely monopolized by capitalism in that of healthcare. However, what people fail to uh, understand is that our DOD and our veterans are in fact covered by the government for their insurance. The federal employees are also covered through the federal employee plan. We also have a group of people who are the retirees and the aged who are above 65 who are covered by Medicare. And then we of course have the uh, the safety net, which I may call, which I call, for those individuals who are either children and are ill, or it could be people who are uh, very poor as well as very ill. So you really have three main groups of segments. I would say DOD, VA, aged people, uh, sick people, and very poor people, for which there are government programs available. So that is not to say that our insurance through the uh, employers is something very unique in the United States. Um, The reason it has enabled to go so long is it's a part of competitive advantage the employers believe they can provide their employees. And in the beginning, when this insurance model was created, there were three circles which were perfectly covering the entire uh, American population. So you had Medicare for the aged, then you had the what I would call federal or corporate insurance covering what was either provided by the employer, which could be the DOD or the VA or the uh, private companies, and then you had the very poor Medicaid. 
But as time went by, what you found is you had very rich people who were aged, but at the same time, you had very poor people who were employed, but the employer was not giving them uh, insurance. So the three concentric circles, which made a perfect circle, started diverging. And that's risen to the problems. But going back to the innovation question, I think innovation can come anywhere and everywhere as long as people are trying to do two things. One, not stick with the status quo. And two, look for not only solutions, but how do you redefine the problem? I'll give you a very good example from Cleveland Clinic. Um, uh, Dr. Cosgrove, who was a CEO of Cleveland Clinic, was also a cardiac surgeon. He said one of the ways that he came up with an innovation was watching his mother embroider. And he noticed that frame which he used for tightening the entire embroidery uh, fabric. And he used the same concept while repairing a mitral valve. So um, I don't think innovation is necessarily um, dictated by the kind of insurance payment, but I think it is what fosters innovation is how do you allow collaboration? How do you allow ideas to come together? And to put it in Google's word, fail often, but fail early. Um, and so the, the advantage the United States perhaps has is the fact that risk is generally much more um, accepted in the corporate capital world than in the government world, which tends to be a little bit more risk averse. The other segment of it is, if you think about the providers and the payers, and I use that category rather saying that is an obsolete terminology, because in the beginning, of course, providers provided all the healthcare and payers provided the reimbursement mechanism. But now if you look at it, providers are accepting cash from patients. So are they a payer in a certain way if they give a loan? And payers, which is insurance companies, are looking after wellness in terms of providing clinical care. So are they providers? So really the distinction between providers and payers is merging. But if we think of the individuals who are providing insurance um, as a mechanism, they have already collected the insurance premium. So it's in their best interest to keep the patient healthy. Because if they keep the patient healthy, it's good for the patient. It's also good for the insurance company because they get to hold on to the insurance premiums which they've obtained. So you have another area in the market which is through the uh, insurance and that doesn't mean it has to be corporate insurance. It could be Medicare. In fact, a lot of the innovation programs are being uh, initiated by the CMMI, which is the Central Medicare and Medicaid um, innovation in terms of looking at what could change the mechanics, whether it is from a value-based payment in terms of innovation, all the way down to saying, um, how do I tackle chronic diseases and how do I enable compliance with medication so that we don't have the, uh, the cost of basically someone going to the ER or being readmitted or um, escalating the disease to a larger problem. So when I'm looking at this, I, I find it very interesting because the, the way that it's set up is maybe um, really focused on healthcare in a traditional sense, but I've been seeing that there's more and more awareness about those social determinants and there's shifts in how we reimburse and how we incentivize different players. Do you think that um, might bring, for example, in the corporate world, in the insurance world, some changes as to what we define as really within the scope of care? Um, that would be definitely a great way to proceed. But I believe that um, healthcare doesn't exist on its own. 
So if we go, for example, into the social determinants of health, um, what do you do with a patient who doesn't have the basic money to buy nutritious foods who lands up in the hospital? Does the hospital basically give him a little place to stay in the hospital? Not possible. Can they give him food stamps? No. So it has to occur in tangent with all the other support services. Um, I would even go further to say that we really need smart cities. If you think about it, if you only have a 7-Eleven in your neighborhood, getting fresh fruits and vegetables is not possible. Even if you do have a 7-Eleven that has fruits and vegetables, unless of course the government is willing to provide subsidies, so the cost of a 1.99 cents for a potato chips can be uh, compared to maybe $4 for a couple of fruits, someone has to level the playing field. And, and so in a certain way, the ideal part would be to have um, farms within the city limits so that it provides fresh fruits and vegetables. It gets the kids involved in growing and understanding it. Um, in turn, they'll understand about the climate effects and what others' environmental effects are there for their uh, health. And we also have smart cities where kids can go to the parks, they can walk to work. So at times it seems like we're boiling the ocean. But we cannot expect tectonic shifts in the outcomes unless you're willing to put tectonic shifts in terms of um, the infrastructure which determines health. Because if the, as we've seen in Michigan, um, bad water kills people. And that's not part of a hospital or uh, even a wellness center, it is the basic infrastructure. Um, will the government get around to it? I think in a democracy, you would hope that the people would elect the people who would embrace those changes and look at it not from a perspective of just their interests. Because the very wealthy, in fact, can have um, good food, good farmer's market, good water for themselves but they need to look at it in terms of beyond their own needs. I think it's very interesting because um, what you mentioned here about spreading the responsibility across different actors, um, they could be governments, it could be the healthcare system, it could be perhaps education, maybe even NGOs. Um, someone very smart, um, I, I heard him say a couple of weeks ago and I thought that was a very smart remark. I was asking, why is everything so siloed? Because it's becoming very apparent that we do need cross-sector collaboration. And one of the pointers that he brought was accountability. He said, how do I trace if I've helped you and you get the positive outcome, how do I trace back my involvement in this? And then how do you provide the funding, the, the whole structure that makes it possible to, to run a project? How do we do that with the current you know, infrastructure? So infrastructure. New York has actually been quite uh, successful in that. So New York hospitals, for example, they looked at the outcomes of the individuals who are uh, who have taken care of the state-run hospitals. So what the New York uh, hospital actually did was acquire real estate of a building and put their poorest and homeless patients in there so their physicians could round them. So basically they were not being penalized for their patient population having poor outcomes. So it's in small steps that they can, they can embrace it. But if we don't believe in the fundamental principle that um, healthcare needs to be provided for all, and it is a privilege, um, then in that case, 
none of the mechanics will work to either fund it or provide the reimbursement mechanisms for it. Um, and yet what we would do is hold people responsible for their health and penalize them, but not provide the resources to be able to embrace it. All right, here's a last question for you. So talking about these incentives um, for people to better their health, right? And I'm, I'm looking specifically at the, the patient side. There's um, a school of thought that says, you know, perhaps, and, I, and I've seen insurances starting to do that, if you sleep well, we'll get you, you know, a lower premium. If you go sure, and, sure, sure. you know, we'll, we'll even subsidize the Fitbit for you. Um, what happens when the incentive system can also turn against you? So there, there's something to be said about me profiling you, knowing that you specifically with, with the big data, you know, it, for your profile, this and that action would put would lower your risk, statistically speaking. But how, how far does it go in terms of enforcing that on someone and how safe is it to have those numbers available like this? So ethics and morality become a big problem. Um, so for example, uh, if a person is overweight but they're taking because of certain genetic factors, are you going to penalize them? Mm-hmm. Um, and also the question of the fact that can't you, you can ask people and say, if you exercise, I will give you an incentive, but you cannot tell them that your weight needs to be at this level. So India actually had a very interesting program so what they did was basically find out uh, for diabetics is to say if you are able to keep your um, diabetes reduced in terms of your uh, levels uh, by x percent and let's say 20 percent 25 percent then we will basically modulate the insurance premiums for you and they'll start going down but if in fact your h1ac levels start going up then we're going to increase it so someone will say, well, that seems fair, but is it fair? If I have a family crunch and I lost my job, all I may be able to afford is carbs, which is bread, because the cheapest of the foods is carbohydrates. Um, so they, therefore, those kind of um, methods are not available in the United States because the government is still considers that to be uh, offensive, or if I may say so, uh, harmful to the patient. Uh, but other countries are looking in terms of saying, what is your responsibility towards that of your health? Um, and there's that's been the constant uh, yin and the yang of people saying, uh, why should we basically cover the cost of care for those individuals who don't want to take care of their own health? Um, why answer to that would be, let's not sink the baby with the bath water or let's not penalize 90% of the people for the actions of few, uh, you know, for where there's a very small minority because inherently everyone wants to take care of their health. It may be their jobs, it may be their family structure, it may be lack of education. So let's address those problems and look at it more as um, providing them with resources rather than penalizing them. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Jay. Thank you. listening to Healthcare Focus, where we take you behind the scenes of the healthcare system. I'm Karina Faraskeev, and I've been your host.